Thank you, Victoria. Um, yes, I am from Grandview Park Presbyterian, which is neither in Grandview nor in a park. That's my ching, no. We're in Kansas City, Kansas. We are in the Central Avenue neighborhood of Kansas City, Kansas. We're a bilingual congregation. And uh, it's out of that uh, context that actually AIR was born. Uh, back in 2006, um, I was on a sabbatical, uh, having a great time at Iona in Scotland. And uh, I was getting emails from our members were bilingual congregation um, with many undocumented people, both in our congregation and in the community around us. And I was getting emails in 2006 uh, People were afraid to go out of their homes in 2006. Um, I don't know if you remember the Sensenbrenner bill, but we thought that was about as bad as it could get back in 2006, but we didn't know what was coming in 2016, right? Um, so in 2006, I came back from a sabbatical uh, committed to try to bring the faith community together around immigration because at that point there weren't any uh, interfaith groups working on immigration. As a matter of fact, there was a group of um, Minutemen. I don't know if any of you remember the Minutemen who would sit on the border, and still to this day, I assume they still do that with uh, probably drinking beer and, and, uh, and their MAGA hats with guns. Uh, but back then, they didn't have MAGA hats. Uh, but they were starting a chapter here in Kansas City. And um, when I came back, I just pulled together some priests I knew in Kansas City, Kansas, and other pastors, and a woman named Angela Ferguson, who's a great immigration lawyer who's here tonight to share with you. And we started a group called People of Faith for Hospitality and Justice. Now, that's not a very good acronym. So in 2010, we started AIR, Advocates for Immigrant Rights and Reconciliation. And we've been working ever since. Uh, both on immigration reform, trying to create uh, new laws and policies, which you know has not been very successful, um, and also particularly in the last few years uh, trying to help the immigrant community and uh, to work through the morass of problems that are happening to families and to people and to individuals that uh, are a result of this broken system and these unjust and cruel policies. So uh, tonight, you're going to hear from some of our folks uh, talking about the work that we do. And I don't want to take too much more time, uh, but I'd like to ask for you to join me in prayer. Good and gracious God, we pray for all people, all people everywhere who are migrating, particularly those who are forced from their homes or separated from their families because of threats of violence and persecution, and also because of the unjust immigration laws and policies of our nation. We ask that you protect them and keep them safe. And although we come from different countries and have different origins in different cultures, we were all created by you and are made in your image. And therefore, we all share an inalienable dignity that is deserving of respect and love and grace. Lord, we ask that you give us the strength to be with those who have been pushed to the edges, to give aid to those in need, to come to the defense of those who are poor or vulnerable, and to welcome all those who are on the move, welcome them into our homes, into our churches, and into our hearts. Especially tonight, Lord, we pray for the families of Crescencio and Florencio and all the other families that have been separated by our cruel and unjust laws and policies. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Hi, everyone. I'm Trinidad. I'm with AIR, the program coordinator. Um, I wanted to just share for a few minutes a little bit about, uh, you know, Nick was telling me when we organized this event that people here like theology. He mentioned liberation theology. Uh, I'm not, I wouldn't call myself a liberation theologian. I love Latin American theology, but I've studied in El Salvador before, and I've studied with people who have lived through that time, the beginnings of that movement and so on, and it's a very relevant topic to today. Uh, I actually would call this a little bit of migration theology. Does anyone recognize this man? 
So Ignacio Ercaria uh, was a martyr from uh, El Salvador in the 80s. This was uh, some years after Romero, Oscar Romero, died. And these Jesuit, about seven Jesuits lived at the university there. They sp- outspoken against a very corrupt government. Six of them were suddenly killed one weekend or, or during the week. Um, so Ignacio was a philosopher and theologian, very outspoken. Uh, here's a quote from him. Uh, and he, if you look in the liberation theology, by the way, he's one of the big names you'll see from the early days, him with John Sobrino. <clears throat> so one quote attributed to him is, always remember that there is no conversion to God if there is no conversion to the oppressed. This picture here, this was actually, um, there was several port- a series of portraits done uh, of the martyrs from El Salvador there. Uh, these were actually done by, I believe, a alumni of Rockhurst University some years ago, and it kind of represents his character there. He was a very uh, outspoken, powerful person. In general, current migration issues are not a new, should not be a new concern for any people of faith, especially for me speaking to Christians, and in this case, Christians and Jews for the source. Because uh, really, going back to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, it's very clear. There's a very clear precedent since, since ancient times of God's expectations for how a society treats the poorest of the poor. So a common phrase is called the anoim in Hebrew, and it refers to the uh, foreigners, orphans, and widows. It's a common theme. So this is from uh, Deuteronomy 27.19. Cursed be he who violates the rights of the alien, the orphan, or the widow. And uh, actually, throughout Deuteronomy and Leviticus, there's many verses of this exact same theme. So just to really, you can see, it, just, it gets repeated a lot. It's actually a really important point. When an alien resides with you in your land, do not molest him. You shall treat the alien who resides with you no differently than the natives born among you. Have the same love for him as for yourself. For you two were once aliens in the land of Egypt. I, the Lord, am your God. <clears throat> so it reminds people of their place, right? It's not, so I, I briefly, I just did a brief overview of a recent example of someone who stood up for the poor, Nasia Korea, looked at the uh, Old Testament. Even as early as the, the early church, this was a clear theme. It was not a debatable point to anyone trying to follow Christian values. So this is from 4th century Bishop of Milan, St. Ambrose. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I, I'll read the highlighted points there. He's, he's commenting to people who had a similar situation, people who did not want to treat foreigners well. Uh, if, uh, they who would forbid the city to foreigners cannot have our approval. They would expel them at the very time when they ought to help. And going down to the second highlighted point, he said, beasts do not drive out beasts, yet man shuts out man. So he's criticizing people who treat other human beings worse than animals. He also had this quote attributed to him I thought was relevant, yeah. So just to wrap this up, because I want to give more time for some more powerful testimonies here, um, I always like to point out to Christians in particular, biblically speaking, so you have the example of the Tower of Babel, and in the Tower of Babel is the story of hubris of humanity trying to become God. Um, that's, my, that's one way you would put the story, okay. So they're dispersed. Um, and they're dispersed into having all these different languages now, so that they babbled, right? So we actually get the opposite uh, situation of that later in biblical history. Uh, in, in the story of the descent of the Holy Spirit, so now the apostles, after Christ is risen, so the apostles are able to go out and speak all these different tongues to evangelize people of all nations, and in the in it, Early on in Acts of the Apostles, the apostles are given a clear commission to go to people of all nations of all the earth to evangelize. So today, um, you can find these statistics here on the United Nations site, but there are over 70 million uh, displaced persons in the world today. That's much bigger than the population of Canada or the UK. And uh, after World War II, it was around the range of 25 million displaced persons. So after World War II, there was a huge effort to help meet the needs of refugees, 25 million. Today we have 70 million. But why is it at that point? Out of that 70 million, 40 million are displaced, or 40 million or something are internally displaced within their own countries, and then the rest are seeking new countries, right? So even for the ones that are internally displaced, even they're not going to a different country, that shows that there's a huge amount of instability around the world today.
it's a very bad situation. What we end up, it's not, there's no easy way around it. The world just working through a hard time. But we're ending up in a situation where many countries who are not used to taking in people from different cultural groups, they're now doing that. And countries like the US had already done that a lot. I wish we would do more of that now. But other countries who are not used to doing that are taking in more. So you end up with a situation where in your own area, there are people of all nations in, around you. So going out to evangelize people of all nations doesn't just mean going out anymore. They're right here. Everyone's right here, right? Uh, I myself am Bengali Mexican-American. My mother's from Bangladesh. Uh, my father's uh, his side's Mexican. His mother's from Mexico. It's a diverse world now. Uh, what does it mean to evangelize? Meaning, how do you show the works of mercy to people? Right. So I'd like to leave you with that question. Well, you guys, first thing I want to do is take a poll. Um, I was kind of assigned the task of Immigration 101, the basics of immigration law, and I don't know if you really need that. Yeah, you want me to run through it really fast? Yeah, okay. This is our immigration law, and in 10 minutes I'm going to summarize this thing, okay? Okay. Um, my name is Angela Ferguson. I'm a local immigration attorney. I've been doing this for about 30 years or so, and I love my work and I hate my work. You know, It's always changing. It keeps me on my toes, breaks your heart, makes you frustrated. Um, I have a general practice. I help families do their immigration process. Um, businesses sponsor people to come into the United States. And lately I do way too much deportation defense and asylum and those kinds of things for people who are coming here seeking protection. So I kind of feel like I can give you in five minutes or so a basic immigration primer, right? So to come to the United States legally, get your permanent residence, you have to have a sponsor, right? Someone who can, a family member who can sponsor you or a, an employer to sponsor you, basic, okay? We're not covering everything, but U.S. citizen's spouse sponsors his wife. They get immediate relative status. If he wants to sponsor his daughter, immediate relative status. There's no waiting. And if a U.S. citizen child wants to, uh, an adult child wants to sponsor her parent, that's an immediate relative. There's no waiting. In the past, that would take about six months for me to do a case um, through the immigration process. Under Trump, it's taking about two years now. Um, if the person is outside of the United States, it's part of the invisible wall. Things are slowing down. And then we have lots of other categories. So, here you go. Come on up, Carla. Okay, we're going. Carla, my permanent resident, she's got a green card. She wants to sponsor her spouse. Okay, you'll be my spouse there. Okay. It's going to take, she's from, he's from Mexico, can you tell? It's going to take you a long time, maybe two, three, four, five years to get your papers. Now let's change you, you know, now you're going to be Salvadoran. Okay. Okay, now. It's going to cut down the time. It won't take as long because of the country. What are the longest countries? Any ideas? India. India. Mexico. Mexico. Two more. China. China and the Philippines. You got it. You guys, you can sit down. Now, what? Uh, what? Well, let's change you. Yeah, let's change you into not a spouse. We're going to make you a child. Okay? He's under 21. Yep, he's under 21. She files for him and gets him in the line. But the line's kind of long. Three, four, five years it's going to take, and you age out. He becomes an adult. <laughs> he gets into a slower line, and that line's going to take maybe 15 years or so. It's a long line. And boy, he goes and falls in love and decides he wants to get married. He does it without asking his mom. Get kicked out of line. Sorry, bud. <laughs> All right. That's our basic immigration law, right? It's, it's lines, they're long, and you can go in and out of different lines. If she becomes a citizen while he's waiting, he'll move up a little bit, maybe, depending on the country. It's a process, it's complicated, um, but it's, you know, it's not rocket science, man. You can fill out the paperwork and get people into the lines. They just have to be smart enough to 
stay in the line, not get married, and not commit any crimes and get caught while you're waiting, right? Okay, now we're going to move on to employment immigration. There's five categories. He is a primo scientist. You'll be a scientist today. Okay? Mr. Scientist here, it's called the Einstein Award or the Einstein Visa. He's exceptional, extraordinary. You guys know any of those? Yes, you do. Who is the most? <laughs> yeah, you got it? Melania. I heard Melania. Melania Trump got the Einstein visa. She came to the United States as an extraordinary fashion model. Okay? But the rest of the folks have to actually wait in line. Okay? So if you have any PhDs or master's people out there, yeah, lots of them. So if you have a PhD or a master's degree, you're in the second line. An employer can sponsor you and bring you in. Bachelors and associates are in the next line. The, in the third line, it takes a little bit longer. If you're from India or China, it's going to take a really long time. But you want to be a gardener? Gardener or a grave digger? An employer can sponsor someone who is an other worker. It doesn't require any education or skill and can bring in a worker in that category, and those lines are short right now. But you gotta be in legal status. You can't be out of status. So those employers have to bring in new people from outside of the country, okay? The fourth category, religious workers. Priests, nuns, um, monks, teachers, religious teachers are in the fourth category. There's no waiting for those. And last but not least, you can be my rich person. <laughs> I probably broke a law by copying money. He has lots of money there on his little sheet there. If you are a millionaire, multimillionaire probably, um, the Trump administration just raised the rate, $1.8 million to buy your green card in the United States. 1.8, that's not too bad. So um, I don't get too many of those clients. You know, if they got that kind of money, they want to stay at home, right? Usually. Um, so that's it in a nutshell, you know, and then there's the humanitarian folks, the refugees, the asylees, the lottery winners. We still have an immigration lottery. And um, yeah, humanitarian visas like the U visa, people who are victims of crimes. That was it in a, in a nutshell, but for decades, our country has reaped the extensive benefit of our legal immigration system, and we're not talking about all the benefits that we get from the undocumented people who work their tails off to help us in the United States. Immigrants living and working in the United States based on close family ties, employer sponsorship, and humanitarian protection <coughs> programs have made our nation stronger, better, and more vibrant by building strong family support systems and culturally enriched communities and contributing to our shared economic growth by launching businesses, fueling entrepreneurships, and driving innovation and strengthening our labor force. I did one of these talks and I had uh, a manager of a nursing home stand up and said, you know, I can't find American kids that want to get out of high school or college and change diapers 24-7. You know, our nursing homes here in the Kansas City area would shut down if we didn't have some of our undocumented workers. It's I asked a woman sitting next to me yesterday if she knows any immigrants. She said, no, she really didn't. Well, I bet she runs into them every single day as she eats out at restaurants or stays in a hotel. They're, they're here. We have lots of folks who are invisible and um, are needing, needing our help right now. Despite the overwhelming evidence of the value that immigrants bring to our country, since I've been an immigration attorney, there's been an extreme attack on the 14th Amendment due process rights of immigrants. And this is a short summary of what I've witnessed since I've been an immigration attorney. Um, anyone know what the 14th Amendment says? 
The 14th Amendment says that all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction are citizens of the United States or the state in which they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall they deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of law. Can you guys think of some of those um, <clears throat> things that have been violated lately? Yeah, like that equal protection stuff and due process. Um, but there's an attack on that birthright citizenship. And it's, you know, maybe 15 years ago, some of the radical, crazy right-wing folks were talking about taking away birthright citizenship. Well, it has made it into Congress and into mainstream conversation. And the proposal of repealing the Fort. 14th Amendment so that children who are born on U.S. soil if their parents are undocumented will not be U.S. citizens. That's the direction we're heading. The state of Arizona not too long ago took away the right for parents to get their birth certificates for their children if they were undocumented. Now, that's been challenged, but it's happening and it's seeping in and oozing and taking, you know, uh, the more they talk about it, the more likely it is that uh, it's, it's going to start happening. So I started practicing immigration law um, back in the 80s when the Mariolitos were out at Leavenworth Prison. Anyone know who the Mariolitos were? Yeah, well, they were the folks that Castro um, threw out of Cuba, the criminals, the political dissidents that came and were welcomed into the United States with open arms because, you know, screw Castro. We wanted to show him that we would take them. But if they committed any kind of crime on U.S. soil, they were detained indefinitely. So commit a misdemeanor, you might serve, you know, five years in prison, in Leavenworth Prison, in the maximum security, in the doghouse. And huh, I think a little due process and violation of, of life, liberty, and happiness was violated there for those Cubans, no one paid much attention to that because they were criminals. They were Cubans. They were communists. They were, I don't know, throwaways. Not too many pay, people paid attention to that violation of the 14th Amendment. Ah, fast forward a little bit. So, 1996. Who was president in 1996? Ha, yeah. All right. Mr. Clinton signed one of the worst immigration laws that we have on the books. It's called the Illegal Immigrant IRA IRA Responsibility Act. Okay? IRA IRA. Error, error. It's a mistake to have this law on the books. It needs to be repealed. It came about at the time of the war on drugs and welfare reform. And it is one of the harshest immigration laws. Um, let's see. Mandatory detention, expanding um, the detention facilities, making it mandatory for the number of people who are detained, um, taking away due process. Say making some cases expedited removals, no right to see a judge. If you're in jail for a crime, you don't get a review by the judge, you're automatically deported. Taking away review by the courts of appeals. Um, oh, and it goes on and on. It created a bar for someone who is here unlawfully who needs to fix their papers. So you have married someone who is undocumented, and you're a citizen. You want to fix her papers? She has to leave the United States to go out to have an appointment at the embassy. But the day she steps out of the United States, she gets a 10-year penalty. Okay? 10-year penalty, you don't want to be separated for 10 years. Passing this law increased the number of undocumented people here in the United States because they weren't going to try to fix their papers. They weren't going to make that exit out of the United States. They don't want to be gone for 10 years. From 1996 until President, o President Obama passed a 
little tiny bit of a fix to this. With an executive order, he made it possible to ask for a waiver. Forgiveness was built back into that system just a little bit for those folks so they could go out and fix their papers. Tomorrow I have a trial for a young man who is one of these guys. He um, came to the United States when he was five years old. His parents brought him. He didn't intend to break the law. They brought him. They didn't like it so much. After a year and a half, they went back. Oh, things were worse back in Mexico then. They turned around and they came back to the United States. He grew up. He went to high school. He graduated. He's a good kid. He had a few little problems in his teenage years. He's a good kid. Got married, has children. He has four children. Two of them have pretty severe autism and ADHD, you know, learning problems. His poor wife works two full-time jobs, and he's going to be possibly deported tomorrow. He gets this 10-year penalty plus a permanent penalty because his parents brought him back in a second time. A permanent penalty. That's how harsh this 1996 law is. We have created a complete class of unfixable folks, right? Even if the laws allowed him to apply, he's not fixable under, under our current immigration laws. Doesn't matter how much money he has. So in our current immigration system, we treat someone who has exited and reentered illegally with a permanent bar the same as someone who sold a kilo of cocaine, the same as someone who has murdered, the same as someone who has entered into a marriage just to try to get their green card. Um, it's an unfair system, and it needs to be challenged. We're going to be talking, I hope, about some of the ways that we may be able to resist, to fight back. I hope that you will... Um, join in the conversation and consider working with us on resisting either through sanctuary or through civil disobedience something so thank you for your time i'd like to introduce here um, presenting next is the family of crescencio who was deported a few years ago they yasmin bravely wanted to share her testimony here um, one thing that air does is we accompany families through uh, hard times uh, later in this presentation, I'll tell you more about our volunteer opportunities, but I'm going to pass it on here to Yasmin and her son. Uh, my name is Yasmin. My esposo is Crescencio. My name is Jasmine, and my husband is Crescencio. Tengo cuatro niños. I have four children. My name is Alberto. Anthony, Kevin, and Eduardo. Y, y a él lo deportaron, y, este, y pues es muy difícil estar con cuatro niños luchando que a él se lo llevaron he got deported and it's really hard to keep up with four children es muy difícil para mí porque el niño más chiquito pregunta por su papá diciendo que cuando va a venir it's very difficult for me because like the little on the little child he always asks for his dad when he's going to come back Y pues al niño le digo que pronto va a venir, que él anda trabajando fuera. Él pues ya no quiere estudiar. A veces me dice que pues los niños ven que van sus papás a traerlo y a él no. He said that he always asks for his dad and he doesn't want to study no more. Because like some kids always go for his dad. Y muchas gracias por escucharme. Y pues no tengo más palabras que decir. Thank you very much for listening to me, and I really don't have any words. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Carla, and I'm part of the Air Board. I still haven't decided <laughs> which story to tell. I have one that makes me cry every single time. I'll share a little, uh, a little part of it. Um, this is the story about... I'll kind of take you back with me. I think it was uh, 1996 when I was about four to five years old um, when my mom and I crossed the border. It is nighttime, 1996. My auntie wakes me up and says, there's someone here to see you. 
My auntie notices that I am too sleepy to walk. She picks me up in her arms and walks down the stairs. As we were going down the stairs, I am wondering who could, who could possibly be waiting for me. We arrive to the living room and I see a lady smiling at me, asking for an embrace. She says, ven mija, come here, with an excited voice. I realized after time passes that she is my mother. My parents left me in Mexico for about two years and they moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico. So my grandparents practically, practically raised me for about two years. So I was little and I really didn't know my mom. A few days go by and I find myself saying goodbye. After hours pass, we arrived at a place that I've never seen before. I see a man and a woman and my mother. I was waiting patiently. It is broad daylight. I am confused as to why we are walking this long. All I see is my mom, many people, and a desert. The sun is hot and it feels like it's burning my head. I do not see any buildings or homes, just dried plants and dirt. All of a sudden, I hear La Migra, Border Patrol, my mom yells. As I run, all I want is to get into that truck so they can take us somewhere so I can rest. We get there. Those men are mean to my mom. They are yelling. They take us to a very cold place but they gave me something to drink. I am feeling relieved we are there because my feet are resting and I am drinking what they gave me. The officer sets me on a bench outside of my mom's cell and I fall asleep. It is the next day and I find myself walking the desert again. I wanna go home. This time my feet are too tired and I ask my mom to please carry me, so she does. The sun seems stronger today. There, uh, there is another family with us and they accidentally dropped my bottle of water. The water is gone, but I keep walking anyway. I felt my mouth very dry, like I feel right now. <laughs> I need water and I keep walking, but my body is heavy. I am thirsty and I start to feel dizzy. Everything went dark. It is nighttime and I wake up in a black car. I am dizzy, I am still thirsty. My mom frantically looks for water and the man who picked us up says that there had been a bottle of water in his back seat for quite some time. I don't care and I chug the whole thing. That water was hotter than my grandma's morning tea. It burns my throat, but I drink it anyway. We arrive at a home and people lead us to a room. It was dark, dirty. I remember seeing dead bugs everywhere. And I am absolutely sure that is not our destination. I am once again confused. We tried to sleep, but I hear a lot of sirens, so we had to run to a um, backyard storage room and hide in there. I remember hearing helicopters and dogs. I see lights outside and I wonder what is going on. I am so scared and I want to go back to my grandma's house. I want to go back home. We finally arrived to our destination and it feels like home. Fast forward to about 22 years, I am a first generation college graduate. Despite the struggles of my, that we went through, what we've gone through, I really, at this moment, as an adult, because I remember growing up undocumented up to 2010, I felt sort of anger towards my parents for bringing, bringing, me, bringing me to a place where I don't know if I could work. I remember finding out at 15 years of age that I needed some sort of documents, those nine digits, to work like my friends did. Um, I remember not wanting to go to school because why would I go to school and graduate college if I can't work? Thankfully, we, we got our, it was a long process, we got our, we were victims of a violent crime, so we got our, our uh, work permit first through the U visa. And then from there, we adjusted our status to the resident alien. And now I'm in the process of becoming a U.S. citizen. Thank you. Learn anything new today? I, um, Nick really wanted me to make sure I, I inform people today, too, about op opportunities to get involved in what you can do. With AIR in particular, our major volunteer networks are with um, Rapid Response and, excuse me, accompaniment. Okay. So uh, later after this, we'll have some people at our table. We have a sign-in sheet where you can, if you want to give us your info, you can get on our mailing list, or you can also mark if you're interested in volunteering. We're starting to uh, have more volunteer meetings coming up here. Uh, for rapid response training, involves becoming part of our network, which helps 
uh, keep a check on ICE activity. Uh, helps verify reports of ICE activity in the community before it causes scares. And sometimes as much as documenting an ICE arrest if uh, you are nearby. Uh, not for everybody, but uh, it is a necessary network. Accompaniment, immigrant families like Crescencios who just presented often will accompany families through hard times. Um, especially what comes up is helping families get to their regular check-ins at, ICE office, at the ICE office or helping them to get to their court dates and things like that. Um, sometimes having an accompaniment volunteer helps people get treated a little more respectfully. We also keep organizing more of these uh, events here, these Immigration 101 events. So if any of you are also from other organizations or parishes, you can reach out to me about arranging those. And we do Know Your Rights sessions too, um, especially in the Hispanic parishes. If you know other parishes you want to recommend, contact us. It's a very crazy time. It's a, it's the largest uh, migration crisis in world history right now in the world. And in this country, it's the biggest crisis that I know of for immigration policies. It's confusing. It's hard for everyone to keep up. So we're constantly responding to whatever happens week after week and often forming new roles for volunteers as we go. So the biggest asset we have is a network of people we trust. So if you uh, feel moved to get involved, uh, you can come reach out to us, come talk to me, come talk to Air, and uh, give us your info over there in the table afterwards. Uh, I think we wanted to leave 15 minutes for questions. Any questions you had, whether it was a legal question, we could have, you know, we can give to Angela or any of us you wanted to ask a question, feel free to, you know, raise your hand. Can you talk a little bit more about the first responder training that you're working towards? The rapid response? Rapid response. So rapid response. Uh, if you want to see more of what that stuff looks like, you can also look that up on, on the ACLU website. It, you know, they have really good information on that. And it's, it's a, something, a model that immigration advocacy groups are using around the country. So it generally involves, if you, be, um, if you become a part of a rapid response network, there's a good training for it. We're starting to have those every month now. Uh, basically, you, you become part of our communication network there. So... When we hear about, or anyone from the community that we know hears about reports of ICE activity, uh, say on a certain part of town, well, so the problem is if you immediately start saying on Facebook everywhere, ICE, I saw ICE over there, it can really scare a lot of people, and it might not be confirmed, and that's pretty common. Some people see just police officers, and they thought it was ICE. Uh, and the problem is if it spreads around everywhere, so people maybe in the undocumented community uh, are going to try to completely avoid that area, but maybe it was a false alarm. So you don't want to cause unnecessary fear. So people in that network, they help go. So when we hear a report, we, we send out our message uh, to our network there to say, hey, is anyone close to the area to be able to go and confirm? And we help people uh, in the training know what to look out for to see if we see anything suspicious that looks uh, like ICE activity. And then on the most extreme, it could be actually ICE making an arrest at the time. And if so, if you're there, you are within your rights to record it, uh, not to get involved in the arrest or anything, but you can record it. And if there is anything questionable about the arrest, and often with ICE arrests, there are a lot of questionable things going on. If, if there's anything questionable about it, it can help with that person's case later. Or if any of you probably, did anyone see the footage of Florencio's arrest? So that, that was a really... It was a horrible abuse on part on the part of ICE, but the uh, the wife did perfect did the perfect thing by recording all of it, and that helped. And then Air, we worked with her, we accompany her, and we did the press conference for her uh, uh, with the help of More Squared, uh, to help put attention on the issue. And it's still not a smooth resolution, but the outcome is now a lot better than it could have been. Uh, it was very much thanks to it being recorded. I'm wondering what we could do to. <laughs> well, you know, we all need to quit sleepwalking, right? Um, I think it was Michelle Alexander that, that said that, quoting Martin Luther King, that nothing is more tragic than he who sleeps through a revolution. We need to step up, and that means contacting your congressman every single day, all of them. Write to him, email him, talk to him about what kinds of reforms we need. Stay away from the 14th Amendment enforce the 14th Amendment, right? We need due process. We need courts that uphold what our laws are. Right now, the immigration judges here, um, we have deportation court downtown. 
they have to um, uh, meet quotas, right? They are told if they want to keep their jobs, they have to deport a certain number of people, complete a certain number of cases. And oh, by the way, if you grant asylum because of domestic violence or gang membership um, pressure to join a gang, if you grant those, um, we're going to set aside those decisions. The, uh, Attorney General Barr is, has taken away the power of those judges to grant protection on those grounds. It's not an independent court. We need an independent court. We need an Article I court, so that's something easy you can tell your congressman's offices when you call in and leave those messages with their interns that take down the numbers. They hear all the time from the anti-immigrant folks. They need to hear from us, okay? So there's, yes? I could yeah, send it to Nick. Okay. Um, yes. <laughs> so you gave us immigration one one. How can we get two hundred one and three hundred one? How can you learn a little bit more? Oh. Well, we'll keep having these if you want. But I think that one thing um, this group could do is to form little study groups. And we, at one point we had a night of a thousand conversations encouraging people to have um, home dinners, you know, eight, eight to ten people and talk about one aspect of immigration. And we could provide uh, the materials to talk about if you would like. Um, another thing you can do is support immigrant workers. We have so many of our undocumented workers are part of that group that needs the 15 and a union, right? So I know many of you have seen you out at the demonstrations with Stand Up KC. Um, it's collaboration work. Um, that's, that one's important. So yeah, there's so much to do, but um, just like the cleanup here, if lots of people pitch in, if lots of people um, you know, speak up, uh, we can build our power, right? So. Any other questions? Yes? I have a couple. Um, if you have friends that are either are either immigrants or are child's children of people who are immigrants, what can you do to support them? Uh, well, I get this all the time. Folks come to my office and say, what's going to happen to me if I get picked up? Right? What, what do I do with my children? We need to make sure that they have powers of attorneys in place to give you the right to go pick up that child from school, right? They need to plan. They need to have their family um, preparedness plan done. No one wants to. How many of you have wills? I'm a lawyer. I have a will that I wrote 20 years ago. I haven't updated my will. I don't want to get prepared for my stuff. <laughs> Lots of times people avoid these conversations, avoid doing it until it's too late. Okay, we had a woman go in for a check-in last week, and ICE held her. And they're not letting her out. She has an old deportation order. There's four little girls sitting in my office holding hands and praying the rosary. Um, Please get our mommy out. Well, it's too late. I can't do it. People with final deportation orders need to go talk to their lawyers and figure out if there's any way to set that aside. But if they don't have a deportation order, they need to figure out if they have any defenses. You know, this is how crazy our immigration law is. If you are smart enough to not get caught for 10 years and you're in the United States and you have a legal relative, you may be able to win your green card. That's my guy tomorrow. He has his permanent bar. He has one chance to win his green card tomorrow in front of the judge um, because he was smart enough to not get caught and he had 20 years in the United States. Okay, if you get caught at nine years and 11 months, you don't get the chance. Okay, so people need to know what their defenses are, need to know if they have one, and Oh, Carla mentioned this. If they've ever been a victim of any kind of crime, if they have or their child has or their parent has been a victim of a serious crime in the United States, they may be able to get legal if they cooperated with the police. It's a U visa law, and it helps all of us be safer if people aren't afraid to call the police, report crimes, and, and help put criminals behind bars. So it's, it's something that um, our local police departments help people who report crimes. I was reading that in online, like The Intercept, uh, where 
some of the ICE agents doing the uh, first initial contact are actually writing down Lies, lies. lies. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they yeah. do that. It, it, it's amazing. So folks will come to the border, turn themselves in, ask for asylum, and the documents that you get from that deportation um, officer later when the lawyer's looking through the file says they came to work, they want to work for three years and go back home. That's what their documents say. They, they never said that. You know, yes, uh, law enforcement lies. <laughs> I think we all know that, right? <laughs> It's legal, too. <laughs> Any other? Did you have a question? I, I actually did not have a question. I just wanted to say thank you for what you're doing. Uh, it sounds heartwarming. All right. Well, thank you. I, it's, you know, you get to work with so many good people that uh, it keeps you going. Uh-huh. One back there. Do you, do you ever talk about the history of the Treaty of Yeah, I suppose I should, but I don't. You want to educate us? I mean, I can just do it in one quick sentence. Do it. Uh, like, the, the land that is now Texas and New Mexico was mm -hmm. annexed by the U.S. in the 1700s uh, or around then. And so, like, that was land, people's land that was taken away from them. And so we talk about why don't these people just stay home? Why are they coming into our land? But this was their homeland for centuries. And they entered into that treaty, but not willingly. They were kind of coerced, right? So the border crossed them, right? It, our history is often kind of dirty. Yeah. Uh -huh. I just want to add uh, the question about uh, how to help people, you know, and the, the uh, idea to help them with a plan. Uh, there are resources available. There are family planning resources, uh, Presbyterians for Just Immigration, if you go on their website, uh, there's a family care plan that's a packet that can, has steps you can walk through. Uh, they're, they're, and they're not the only people who offer that resource. There are other resources right. like that, too. And, uh, and we have in the past, AIR mm -hmm. has had a, a workshop where we bring people through, uh, through that planning process. We probably need to do that again. We do. Um, the public library sponsored us uh, the, um, to do Know Your Rights trainings, and we also did the um, family prepared, preparedness process with notaries available and documents in English and Spanish. So if, if, uh, if we had enough manpower, we could do some more of those. Hey, got All right. <laughs> Woman power. Um, <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, last week I had a call from the Guadalupe Center. They had a woman. They were putting a, her up in a hotel for a week because she had a final order. ICE was looking for her. She needed an immediate place to stay. And through this work, we have found different churches that have stepped up and have been willing to provide temporary housing. Um, Long-term shelter, the sanctuary churches, uh, <coughs> We have a little bit of history with that, but um, it's something that needs to be considered, right? And, and I think we're going to need to build a whole network across this nation before this law gets changed. I, you mentioned earlier about it used to take six months for some instances for people to get citizenship or into the country. Now it's two years. I think I know the answer, but is it because they took away employees to help them, or do they just purposely oh. delay? Oh, they yeah. Still for two years. No, I think they still have the same number of employees. Um, everything has slowed down within the Department of Homeland Security. Almost. Maybe every once in a while, DACA is still kind of coming through fairly quickly. Um, but that invisible wall has affected not just the undocumented or the deportation courts, but um, we do employment visas for teachers for the school district over in Topeka. Uh, we get challenges. Prove to us the school district is a nonprofit. Well, uh, well, we've renewed these visas over and over and over and over for the school districts, and they are nonprofit entities or government entities. Um, stupid challenges like that. 
across the board, um, uh, immigration is just getting harder, harder, and harder to deal with. So, so. I have a friend that's turned his wife over here, and it's been a couple years. Mm -hmm. And I said, "Well, how soon?" He's, I, I don't know. You know, you know, it just takes longer. So my question is, I, I think I know the answer. But is there anything that can be done to speed up that process that we can do, other than yeah. get rid of administration or change the laws? Or anything we could do to help? One. Tell them to review the process, right? Make sure that, that their lawyer stays on it. Be the squeaky wheel. Tell them to be the squeaky wheel and call their lawyer regularly in a very nice way so that they actually pay attention to your case and don't avoid it, right? Um, lawyers get busy and they need to be bugged. Um, and then if that's not working and the process is just taking too long, ask your congressman for help. They have staffers that deal with immigration issues Go to them and say, look, this is the process. We've done everything we can. Can you help push us along? Yesterday, we are talking about the 14th Amendment with uh, an African-American community here in town, and there was a woman who signed up for a trip to Jamaica, right? She wanted to go on vacation. She was going with friends to Jamaica. She needs a passport to get to Jamaica, right? So she goes to apply for a passport. She didn't have a birth certificate. She couldn't get a birth certificate. Uh, it's it's sometimes common um, for people who have been born at home, right? They may not have the right documents. She didn't have a birth certificate. The house had burnt down. She had been um, midwifed or whatever, and um, she could not prove that she's a U.S. citizen to get a passport. Congressman Cleaver came through for her and was able to help her get a passport. They can help us when they want to. They need to know that problems exist. They got tired of seeing those DACA kids all the time coming into their offices and doing civil disobedience, and we got DACA pa not passed. President Obama signed the executive order, and those kids are still here legally, so for right now, okay? So they work for us. Make them do their work and make them do it right, right? So. Um, Carla reminded me to mention um, local policy initiatives here. Uh, that would be good to be aware of to help support. They want to hear on the Kansas side. They want to hear on the Missouri side. So uh, most pertinent at the moment, uh, you can ask uh, more about this uh, from Pastor Rick here later. Also, Marcus one in the back there. He knows a lot about it. But there's been a great effort uh, for an initiative called Safe and Welcoming in KCK in Wyandotte County. Uh, which would be help get municipal IDs. It's not just for undocumented people, but it's also for a lot of people and why not actually don't have access to IDs, elderly, homeless, uh, and then undocumented immigrants. So this would be a really huge step forward and there's many, there's a lot more to it than that. Um, Pastor Rick and Marcus know more than me about it, but there is a community meeting coming up uh, in September. The date's not set yet, but keep your eyes open for that because we're this is a time where we're close to getting that initiative really passed in that county on huge having a huge effect. In Missouri side, there is a fairly new coalition called Missouri Immigration Coalition, coalition uh, mostly out of St. Louis at this point, but they're gearing up to help really push better immigration policies in Missouri and coming up in the next session. So if in your Missouri side, keep your eyes open for them, figure out, you know, look at what they're doing, see how you can support better policies on the state level or the city level. Thank you for your time. <laughs>